Greetings, wonderful boys and girls. How are you? I hope you are well. Welcome to Storytime with Avant-Garde Books. I'm Cherie Hardy, and today I will be reading the third part and the final part of a great book called Hurricanes Weathering the Storm. This book was written by Benjamin Holgem, and it was illustrated by Stephen Marchese. Now, if you have a copy, you know what to do. You can read along silently with me. But if you don't, it is not a problem. Please get in a very comfortable place and just get relaxed and listen and learn about hurricanes weathering the storm. Chapter 6. The Brief and Wondrous Life of a Hurricane Now that scientists can track storms all over the world, they know how hurricanes develop and where they come from. Most hurricanes that reach the United States start on either side of the Atlantic Ocean. They usually begin as smaller storms off the coast of Northwest Africa. Hot, dry air from Africa's Sahara Desert mixes with the cooler, more moist air from the Sahel, a region of grasslands south of the Sahara, where when the air from the Sahara and the air from the Sahel meet, they try to mix. Sometimes the mixing of the air from the Sahara and the Sahel will create a low pressure system. The air from Africa is warm, so it rises very quickly, leaving a space with very little air that wants to be filled. This low pressure space pulls in a lot of moist air once it moves over the Atlantic Ocean. This is when it starts to grow into a major storm. If the pressure is really low, then too much air tries to push its way into the storm center at one time. Not all of it can get in, but so much air is pushing to get into the center that the air can't stop moving. The Coriolis effect helps this air move together in one direction around the center of the storm. The crowd of air spinning around the center of the storm makes it even more difficult from the outside air to reach the center. The air in the middle is still being warmed by the warm ocean beneath it, so it keeps rising. Without new air coming in to replace it, the pressure becomes lower, which makes it pull even harder. The outside air spins faster and faster, and the storm gets bigger and bigger. This process is what gives a hurricane's eye its conical and cone-like shape. The eye is the name of the center of the storm. Inside the eye, the air is very warm and can be very calm. In fact, if you were standing in the eye, you would see blue sky or stars above you. The eye of a storm can be as small as five miles wide or as large as 200 miles. That would be more than a two hour drive. Most hurricanes have eyes that are about 20 to 40 miles across. The strongest winds surround the eye of the storm. The fast-moving air around the eye creates the eye wall. Sometimes a hurricane will develop a larger eye wall around the original eye wall. When this happens, the inner eye wall weakens and collapses. This can weaken a hurricane for a brief time. But Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans it was a Category 5 hurricane with a 175 mile per hour winds. It became a Category 3 storm before landfall when it replaced its original eye wall with a new eye wall. 
This made it a weaker storm, but also a much larger storm. There are two ways a hurricane can die. Water and heat are necessary to maintain the low pressure in a hurricane's eye, so a hurricane will weaken rapidly if it hits land. Also, if the hurricane moves too far north in the ocean, it will weaken because the water there is too cold. As the pressure rises, the hurricane center stops pulling on the air. On the outside, the spinning eyewall collapses, the storm stops spinning, and the hurricane turns into a regular thunderstorm. Chapter 7. What's in a name? To help identify and track and to keep track of hurricanes, meteorologists give them names. This is something that has been done all over the world for a long time. The Spanish were probably the first people to give names to hurricanes. After Christopher Columbus landed in West Indies in 1492, he and the Spanish settlers who followed him encountered hurricanes. The Spanish were Catholic, and in Catholic tradition, each day of the year has its own saint. So, when a hurricane hit, the Spanish settlers would name it after the saint of that particular day. But outside of the West Indies, no one named hurricanes, that is, until over a hundred years ago, when an Australian meteorologist named Clement Raggy began naming hurricanes after people, including politicians he didn't like. In 1953, American meteorologists started giving hurricane names too, but only to tell them apart. Now there are six different lists of hurricane names that scientists choose from. The lists have one name for each letter of the alphabet, except for the letters Q, U, X, Y, and Z. One list is used per year, and the storms are given names in alphabetical order. After a major hurricane, its name is retired forever and replaced with a new name. But the new name must start with the same letter as the old name. Both Katrina and Andrew have been retired from the list, which means that no future hurricane can have those names. Boys and girls, I'm not going to read it, but there is a list of names of hurricanes and the year in which they were retired. I'll just name a few. Agnes, you have Bob in 1991. You have Hortense in 1996. You have Edna in 1968. You have Floyd in 1999. You have Hattie in 1961. You have Hurricane Ike in 2008. You have Hurricane Janet, 1955. You've got Hurricane Michelle in 2001. You have Hurricane Wilma in 2005. So there's a lot of lists there of names, but they're named in alphabetical order. Now for Chapter 8, Water, Water Everywhere. What makes hurricanes so destructive? Even though a hurricane's strength is measured by its winds, the flooding it causes to cities close to the ocean is much more destructive. This is especially true in a place like New Orleans, which is surrounded by water. But rain from a hurricane's clouds is not what causes major flooding. What does? It is the water from the ocean beneath the storm. A hurricane always spins in the same direction, and this spinning pushes the ocean water 
into a single massive wave that travels with the hurricane. The giant wave is called a, a storm surge. The storm surge created by a major hurricane can be over 20 feet above sea level, the natural height of the ocean's water. When the hurricane hits land, the storm surge is often higher than the coastal land. Many houses in coastal towns where there are frequent hurricanes are built on silt to protect them from storm surges. But coastal towns haven't always been prepared for the destruction of a major hurricane. The deadliest hurricane in the history of the United States hit Galveston, Texas in 1900. It was a Category 4 hurricane and it killed between 16, I'm sorry, between 6,000 and 12,000 people, my goodness. Galveston is located on the island in the Gulf of Mexico. The highest point on the island was less than nine feet above sea level and the hurricane storm surge is believed to have been around 15 feet high. Mm. Only the most solidly built homes survived the storm. Even though a hurricane's destructiveness is measured by the strength of its wind, a storm surge is much more destructive to low-lying coastal towns and cities. Chapter 9. It's a Twister. Coastal areas like New Orleans usually receive the full force of a hurricane's destructive power, but once a hurricane travels inland, it can still be deadly. A hurricane weakens and often dies when it travels over land, but once it hits land, it can also produce tornadoes. In fact, more than half of all hurricanes that reach land in the United States will produce at least one tornado. This is because the strong winds from the hurricane mix with the weaker winds below it. The mixing of strong winds with weak winds is what produces a tornado. Hurricane Ivan in 2004 holds the record for most tornadoes spawned in the U.S. 17 in just three days. What exactly is a tornado? A tornado is a spinning mass of air that looks like a funnel. The widest part of the funnel reaches all the way up to the storm's clouds, and the point of the funnel touches down to the ground. Small tornadoes can be hundreds of feet wide, and big tornadoes can measure up to a mile wide. They usually last for only a few minutes at a time, but their winds can sometimes be even stronger than the most powerful hurricane winds. Chapter 10. The Flooding of New Orleans a tornado can be dangerous, but that is not what damaged the city of New Orleans. New Orleans is close to the water, which makes it the perfect place for a hurricane to strike. Unlike other places in Louisiana, New Orleans is not located directly on the Gulf of Mexico, the large body of water just south of the United States. But New Orleans is still vulnerable to storm surges. That's because it is located in an area called the Mississippi River Delta. This is where the Mississippi River meets the Gulf of Mexico. The land here isn't much higher than sea level. In fact, New Orleans, almost half of the land is below sea level. There is nothing to protect the city from a powerful storm surge. Hurricane Katrina's storm surge came up to the Atlantic Ocean through Lake Pontchartrain. The lake is on the north shore of the city and is connected to the Gulf of Mexico. 
In the past, people built walls around the city to keep the water out. These walls are called levees. The levees were 23 feet tall on the Mississippi River and 17.5 feet tall on Lake Pontchartrain. They were built out of clay, steel, and concrete, which made them strong, but not indestructible. The engineers knew that if a powerful hurricane caused the water to rise high enough, the levees might let water in or even break completely. Katrina's storm surge was around 18 feet high when it reached New Orleans. New Orleans levees had survived weaker hurricanes with smaller storm surges, but were overpowered by this mighty storm. The levees broke in several places, and the water from the rain and the storm surge flooded the city. Today, New Orleans is still recovering from the devastation of Katrina. Many people who moved away after the storm have returned, and engineers are working to rebuild the levees to withstand another storm like Katrina. In the future, New Orleans will be better prepared for a major hurricane, but hurricanes will still be a major problem for the city and other coastal towns and cities like it. Chapter 11. Hurricanes Past and Hurricanes Future Most hurricanes die in just over a week without doing any damage, but recent destructive hurricanes like Katrina have caused a lot of people to worry about the potential for more deadly hurricanes in the future. Most scientists agree that the Earth has been getting warmer over the past few decades. This is called global warming. Since hurricanes are fueled by heat, some scientists predict that if the Earth continues to get warmer, there will be more hurricanes, and these hurricanes will be even stronger than the ones in the past. The Earth's temperature has changed many times over its 4.5 billion year history. Some scientists think that a warming of the Earth's oceans may have caused the extinction, extinction of the dinosaurs. According to their theory, a large asteroid that landed in the ocean 65 million years ago heated the ocean to over 120 degrees Fahrenheit. This allowed giant hurricanes to form that spewed water vapor into the Earth's atmosphere. This blocked out sunlight and cooled the planet to a point where most of the plant and animal life became extinct. Other scientists are investigating the possibility that a warmer Earth has recently impacted the frequency of hurricanes. Their evidence says that between 1,000 and 3,000 years ago, hurricanes hit the Gulf Coast three to five times more frequently than they do today. These scientists think that these hurricanes may have had a large impact on the Mayan Indians who at the time lived in what is now Mexico and Central America. One of the, their most powerful gods, Huracan, the god of wind and storms. This is where the word hurricane comes from. Not long after the end of the Mayan civilization, the world experienced a period of cooling called the Little Ice Age. The earth may have begun cooling as early as the 12th century, and these cooler temperatures lasted until around 1850. Since then, the earth has been warming up. Scientists who study global warming think that humans may be responsible for this. The pollution created by factories, cars, and the animals raised for food could be trapping heat in the atmosphere and causing the rise in temperature. 
it's possible that if global temperatures continue to rise, more powerful hurricanes will be seen. If this happens, these storms could have as much as of impact an impact on our civilization as they had on civilization of the past. The end, boys and girls. That was the last part of hurricanes weathering the storm. Boys and girls, girls, I hope you enjoyed this important story. Take care.